It's a trade route of extreme significance. About 40% of trade between Europe and Asia passes through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. Now, after years of relative stability, the crucial waterway is again in chaos because of attacks by Yemeni Houthi rebels. This prompted a counterattack from the coalition led by US Navy. What are the current security challenges of maritime trade? And how does this impact the world? Coming up. My name is Siri Svoboda, it's Sunday 14th of January and you're listening to Highlight. Every Sunday I will guide you through the most important news from business, innovation and society so that in the rush of the week you don't miss anything that is fundamentally affecting our future. Now let's get into it. We'll now discuss the situation in the Red Sea and the bigger questions around it with Christian Bugger, professor of international relations from the University of Copenhagen, expert on maritime security and infrastructure. Christian, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here today. So, first and foremost, uh, you are Danish. I'm from the Czech Republic, from Europe. Uh, this issue may feel super distant. Uh, why should we even care what's happening in the Red Sea? Well, we should not forget that pretty much everything that we consume, but also a lot uh, of our energy, actually is transported through this tra- tra- trade route. And that is pretty much everything that uh, comes from China, but also a large share of our oil and gas supplies. In particular, after we have reduced uh, the supplies from uh, coming in from Russia, so this is actually quite important. What happens there? Shipping is quite obviously a global global market, and uh, it's the backbone of our economies. Hmm. Uh, given it's a backbone of our economy, uh, is there an easy way to replace Suez Canal and the Red Sea? Obviously, now we see a lot of ships going around Africa instead. Is that a fundamental issue for the maritime industry and economy as a whole? So let's perhaps start with the basic geography. Why do we have the Suez Canal? If you cannot go through the Suez Canal, you basically you have to sail all the way through the South African coast and then back up again. That is a route that takes about three weeks longer, sometimes two weeks, rather than going straight up. Uh, through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal and then entering the Mediterranean. So longer shipping times quite obviously causes problems in supply chain management. You need to have the stuff uh, there in time, but also it increases costs. And uh, we have instantly seen a spike in oil prices, for instance, caused by the the events in, in December. Uh, we have also recently seen big spikes in the prices of oil by up to 13% uh, when the attacks started. That's because uh, lots of oil and gas gets routed through here, uh, even more so after Russia attacked Ukraine and many European nations try to get rid of the Russian supplies. Uh, can we perhaps expect more energy spikes? Well, we are all uh, paying a price for this in economic terms, but there are also bigger questions at stake. And that is the fundamental principles uh, on which shipping runs, the freedom of navigation, and that is enshrined in the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. And uh, basically, it cannot be accepted that uh, container shipping, uh, oil shipping is being attacked. So this is a very, very dangerous uh, precedent and in many ways also a new form of uh, naval naval warfare 
that we haven't seen like that uh, so, so far. So it's a highly problematic development. And uh, so far, in many ways, we have been lucky. Yes, there have been many attacks on ships through missiles and drones. But so far, none of the ships have been severely damaged. In the worst case scenario, it leads to a major oil spill in the Red Sea. That means the Red Sea will be closed for weeks because you cannot sail through anymore. And quite obviously, it's also an environmental disaster. Uh, this is not the first time we deal with a maritime supply chain disruption. Uh, we learned the hard way during the pandemic that uh, the shipping containers just were not in the places where they're supposed to be. Uh, Is a major disruption like this one on the table now? It will not be uh, of the scale uh, as what happened during the pandemic, but there's already a lot of stress in the shipping market because uh, also the Panama Canal faces severe difficulties because of a lack of water. So there's this uh, second route that is already uh, under stress. So a full closure of the Red Sea uh, and the Suez Canal, that would have kind of like quite dramatic, uh, dramatic consequences. <clears throat> uh, more from the security perspective now, this is by no means the first time we are dealing with vessels being attacked in the region. Uh, many of the listeners will probably remember Somali pirate crisis. Uh, I see a lot of underlying similarities. Uh, civil war, poor people and young desperate men trying to make a living. Uh, Are the two situations comparable? It looks perhaps uh, quite similar from the outset, but it is radically different. Because first of all, uh, pirates off the coast of Somalia uh, were criminals. They were interested in making money. They were not interested in disrupting uh, supply chains. That was a side effect, but they were not interested in that. And they were also not uh, interested in causing any damage to the uh, to the ship. Now, in the uh, in the case of the Houthi rebels, um, we are facing quite a different situation. First of all, they are not criminals at work, but politically motivated groups, and their intention is to damage the ships and to disrupt the traffic. So it's quite a quite a different uh, different situation. And uh, if it comes to to the legal background. Uh, in the case of Somali piracy, it was really straightforward because uh, piracy as a um, as a crime, as an international crime, is quite well defined in uh, the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. The situation that we're facing right now is legally much more uh, much more difficult and has led to quite some uh, controversy, including concerning the uh, the legal authorities that actually the, the Houthis that we always call rebels uh, but who de facto uh, control large shares of uh, of Yemen actually have however um, you're rightfully pointing out that what we're seeing developing since December is not entirely new because if you look back into the history of the of the Yemen conflict the Houthis have attacked shipping directly linked uh, to Saudi Arabia for quite some time So there has been actually a series of uh, attacks, not that they all of a sudden have uh, have started that. So from their perspective, it is quite a logical uh, extension and uh, an escalation of the situation. So all the red flags were there for quite a long time. Hmm. If the red flags were there for a long time, why did it come as such a surprise? Why weren't we able to secure such a crucial waterway already? Well, as I said before, the situation is radically, radically different. In the case of... Uh, Piracy, uh, you 
you need to stop them from taking control of the vessel. And there are different ways of doing that. Self-protective measures by the shipping industry. The crew goes into a panic room, a so-called citadel, um, where it cannot be taken hostage. And then special forces would come on board and uh, try to recapture the vessel, uh, for, for instance. Legally, it's straightforward. You, you arrest the pirates and you, uh, you bring them to court. Now, what we're talking about in, in the Red Sea now, we're talking about missile attacks. We're talking about air attacks. And quite obviously, it is very difficult uh, to, to find the perpetrators to start with. And then secondly, it is not clear-cut uh, a form of crime. So what the coalition forces are doing at the moment is basically installing an air defense uh, system to ensure that uh, the missiles and drones that are being, uh, being shot at shipping uh, don't reach their target. Hmm. Apparently, they are reasonable, uh, successful. I've heard numbers uh, that they managed to uh, get rid of about 70% uh, of, uh, of missiles and drones. But quite obviously, uh, that is still limited. And it tells us how little advanced um, counter-drone warfare actually is and uh, how there's a lack of military preparation for situations like this. And was the lack of preparation preventable in any means, or is this situation that the coalition has to deal with now uh, truly entirely different? For, I think from a military perspective, uh, something like this was was rather un But quite obviously, if <coughs> quite obviously, if we look towards a different part of the world, uh, the Ukrainians have been quite successful as well in using drones against the uh, the Russian Navy. So over the last two years or so, we are literally entering this new age of naval warfare in terms of how um, how missiles and naval and uh, aerial drones can actually be used in in uh, in such situations. And that is, in many ways, has not been anticipated by uh, by naval strategists. Finally, let's look more at the bigger picture. For the last 20 years, uh, there has been a visible trend in the shipping industry to make ships larger. Uh, in the year 2000, the biggest container ships had capacity of about eight to 9,000 containers. Now there are ones which have more than 20,000. Uh, isn't this kind of centralization of global trade into bigger vessels also a bigger security risk? Well, not necessarily. Um, yes, uh, in the shipping industry, you had the trend that bigger, bigger is better, in particular if it comes to containers. Let's not forget the other forms of ship, shipping. If we are just looking into the uh, container market, quite obviously there has not only been the trend to go bigger, but there has been a quite a substantial um, uh, market concentration. So uh, to, today about 90% of container shipping is in the hand of 10 big companies. That quite obviously also uh, has led to a sort of professionalization. You can respond to, to these kind of threats very, very differently if you have a, like a large risk evaluation team uh, and a dedicated uh, security team. In particular, if you compare 
that to, to some of the oil companies that run like one or two uh, cruise ships. If we're looking into the long-term perspective, I don't think that the trend towards bigger will uh, necessarily con continue. I think we are going to see a similar effect that, that we have seen in aviation, where there was uh, a couple of decades ago uh, also the idea to make the planes larger and larger and larger. And then in the end, we have uh, gone fully the other other direction and uh, now we're kind of like building smaller planes that can go longer and uh, are more environmentally friendly and there's more kind of like short uh, short transfers and and so on so that is probably what will come not the least in the uh, in the climate change uh, context where shipping has to radically reduce emissions and uh, the autonomization and digitalization is also making fast progress we're not going to see fully autonomous container ships uh, in, in the Red Sea any uh, anytime soon. But that is of, uh, quite obviously um, also a technological dimension that will call for rather smaller vessels than, uh, than bigger ones. And now for the 10 news stories of the week you shouldn't miss. The US had finally approved Bitcoin to become a part of mainstream investing. Securities and Exchange Commission gave a green light to so-called exchange-traded funds or ETFs containing the biggest cryptocurrency directly. That way investors don't have to rely on crypto wallets or dedicated services. The move is expected to increase Bitcoin adoption, but in fact the prices of Bitcoin fell to lowest points in a month. The pandemic may not be over just yet. The World Health Organization says that COVID infections may currently be up to 19 times higher than reported. That is because lots of people already have some immunity, but they are not being treated. Therefore, scientists know relatively little about the current virus mutations. There are still around 10,000 people a month who die because of COVID. Apart from physical health, the pandemic likely caused a measurable surge in ADHD diagnosis. A new study by the US Food and Drug Administration found that during the pandemic, prescriptions for the ADHD-related drugs rose by up to 81%, significantly among women and people between 20 and 39 years old. The research raises questions to what extent are ADHD drugs appropriately prescribed. The US technology sector started the new year with layoffs. Google, Amazon, Discord, Twitch or Duolingo. All of these companies are cutting hundreds of jobs. However, no need to panic. Experts say that the cuts are not as brutal as the ones in 2022 and 2023. The job cuts largely target specific departments and may just signify shifting priorities of the companies. OpenAI has launched its GPT store, which collects user-created chatbots for specific purposes. Some talk about it as a replay of the Apple App Store launch in 2008. Indeed, one can find chatbots for almost anything there, possibly simplifying lots of mundane tasks. However, worries also mount about copying and distribution of malicious chatbots. After a door blew out out of a 737 jet mid-air, uh, Federal Aviation Administration started a deeper investigation of Boeing. It also ordered the grounding of all 737 MAX 9 jets. The move suggests further bad news for Boeing, as the same type of the jet was involved in 2018 and 2019 crashes, killing almost 400. Boeing said in a statement that it welcomed additional scrutiny and would cooperate. 
The car rental company Hertz is backtracking on its push to electrify its fleet. The company announced it's going to sell third of its EVs, that's roughly 20,000 vehicles, and will instead purchase more gasoline-powered cars. The reasons? Purely financial. According to the Hertz CEO, while electric cars are cheaper to maintain, they have higher repair costs after damage. In a bigger picture, the US economy struggles with tackling inflation. In December, the American Consumer Price Index rose 3.4% year-over-year. In November, it was 3.1%. Not necessarily bad numbers, but the progress towards 2% is slowing down. This could complicate the expected cutting of the interest rates. Norway becomes the first country to allow for the controversial practice of deep-sea mining. Minerals locked in the deep-sea floor are used in clean technologies, but environmentalists warn of catastrophic impacts on marine life. The move opens up Norway's seabed to heavy machinery that would scrape it for magnesium, niobium or cobalt. And finally, NASA has delayed its next missions of the Artemis program, which aims to return humans to the moon. Next flight is expected in 2025, but landing on the moon will not be sooner than 2026. NASA cited safety concerns of its own spacecraft, as well as development issues of the moon suits and landers coming from the private industry. And now, adding a few tips for some good reads to the upcoming days. Cage Darling in the Wired warns about new phenomena where people are getting emotionally attached to AI chatbots. She says that it's time to take these fundamentally human behaviors more seriously. Casey Crowdhart in the MIT Technology Review zooms into three climate technologies that are about to break through in 2024, among them a better solar panels or heat pumps. And Emily Dreyfus in the New York Times writes that our kids are living in a different digital world, so it's no wonder we often don't understand the Gen Z internet. That was the sixth episode of the Highlight Podcast. You can find sources for all today's topics at the link in the description. If you like Highlight, please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues and don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app. Thank you very much for all the support and till the next week, goodbye.